0: Welcome to the season finale of Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. This is season two, final episode, 18, If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31 to verse 39. Sometimes when things go wrong in our lives, our minds try to convince us that God is out to get us. You know what I'm talking about. It probably happens it happens to me all the time. Perhaps we, we feel like we've just let him down one too many times, and now all this trouble seems to be coming into our lives as a result. And, and that's the default position of our brain sometimes, is that it wants to take us to thinking that God really isn't there for us, but he he's kind of standing there just waiting for us to mess up, and he'll be against us. This week on Romans Untangled, we are gonna work very hard. We're gonna actually scream to our souls and to our minds the truth that God attitude towards us is one that he is for us and not against us. Pastor Steve Treichler here at Hope Community Church downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's it's good to be with you again. This is a final episode here. We're gonna take a break for the summer. We'll be back in the fall with uh, season three. I'm hoping to get a couple bonus episodes out. What I wanna do uh, is just interview some people that have been teaching this Romans class that I've had in our church, this one week long, uh, we call it a retreat, but it's not a retreat. We stay in the church and (laughs) we don't go anywhere, but uh, just the Romans study and uh, there's three guys, and I'd like to interview them. And so I'm going to drop those, uh, just those interviews, just time to dialogue about things that have been impactful for them or trends they see in Romans. And, and uh, so we're hoping to get those out sometime between now and September. I can't say exactly when. We, we also want to just enjoy our summers. It's so short up here in Minnesota, so we're going to do that. So And then we'll be back sometime after Labor Day with season three of Romans Untangled. Before we get into Romans today, remember we've been doing one theological term each week to familiarize ourselves with some of the great doctrinal truths, and uh, we've been looked primarily this season at the phrase ordo salutis, but I want to hit on our last time together this season on something called Union with Christ. This is a beautiful doctrine and it basically encompasses everything in the order salutis and everything that we have in Jesus is because of our union with Christ. Let me give this definition. I really like this definition from Wayne Grudem. He says this, we may define union with Christ as follows. Union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are, and then he's going to include four aspects, we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. And I love those those things, ways of looking at it because in a lot of ways, we are in Christ. Our status is because we are in Christ and how we stand before God as the great theologian um, Charles Spurgeon said, you stand before God as though you were Christ because Christ stood before God as though he were you and we're in Christ. But also Christ is in us. It gives us power for living. He's with us. He's He's right there unified with us. We are with. We are like Christ. We're to imitate Him, and see Him as friend and guide, and the one who is the lover of our souls and our Savior. And then also, we are with Christ. So all these aspects are what it means to be unified with Christ. There's so much in the Scriptures when you start to see this little phrase in Christ or stay in me. you start to realize it's just this beautiful, rich, theological thing where everything happens because of our union with Christ. And unless this is your first episode of Romans Untangled, you know we've been talking about this like for two whole seasons, really, our, what our our union with Christ really means, both in his death and in his resurrection. You see it right now at Hope... Uh, we are at all three of our locations. We're going through the book of Ephesians. And it is incredible how this idea of in Christ is just everywhere. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, we have died with Christ. We are risen in him. You know, it's on and on and on and on in the book of Ephesians. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Romans two twenty or excuse me, uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then lastly, really all of Romans 6, 1 to 14, but I'm just going to read three verses, verses 8 to 10. talks about we were in Christ and we died with him. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. So that idea in Romans six, one to 14, we talked about earlier this season, is the way that we overcome sin in our lives because of our union with Christ. And we consider ourselves dead to sin because Christ died and we died with him, even though at times it doesn't feel that way. You are in Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ, studying scripture and writing down who am I in Christ is life-changing. It is, you are a total new creation in Christ. All right. Now, on to, Ro- on to Romans and our last time together uh, this season here. We're in Romans 8, 31 to 39. I want to read the passage, and then I want to basically just go back over it slowly with you. And I want, if you have a Bible open, that's great. I think this week I'm using the New International Version, but I kind of use different versions at different times. Um, this one is just so, so beautiful and so encouraging. Here we go. Romans 8, 31 to 39, the end of chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is one of those passages, quite honestly, that uh, all you gotta do is read it and then we should just take an offering. I mean, dude, this is just unbelievably encouraging what this is saying to us about what how God looks at us. Let me do the job we've been you know, claiming we're gonna do in this podcast is what's the big idea here? The big idea is th- verse 31, the second part. And it says this, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right. Now, that th- that's a question. And uh, I was taught by my good friend, Tom Steller, uh, who was a pastor over I did my internship at Bethlehem Baptist Church here in Minneapolis, that you should take questions when they don't have an answer to them. And these don't. These are rhetorical questions, meaning there's an implied answer. And you should restate the question um, in an answer format if there's not a answer given. And so um, the answer to that is, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer to that is no one. So it would read, if God is for us, there is no one who can be against us. Now, that's, wow. My mom used to like to say it this way. If you've lost everything, but you still have God, you have everything. And that's a beautiful phrase from mama. And I really appreciate it. So what I want to do here is I want to go back kind of through the passage and go back through it. We'll go kind of slow, and we're just going to let this sink in. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to do any fancy uh, quotes or cross-references or anything today. We're just going to want to let these truths sink in. Paul asks seven questions here, and we just want to answer those questions and let them sink deep into our souls when our minds try to convince us that God is not actually for us. And we want this to scream at us today. Okay, go back. Here we go, Romans 8, 31, starting again. What then shall we say in response to these things? Now, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about the previous passage or maybe even more back. And I I would argue it's a summary of the first eight chapters. What should we say about all these things? But for sure, it goes right back to the immediate passage he just got done saying. that he talks about in verse 18, I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he talks about what those sufferings are. If you continue on to that passage, it, it is... Being a new creation person, living in an old creation world that has not yet been made glorified. And it talks about in that passage, remember from last week, where it's talking about the, the creation groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so that they can party as well. Trees desire to act more like a tree really should instead of the way it's been subjected to. And we, as a result, we groan as well. It's not, we want to be clothed the way we're, we're we're one day going to be clothed, it talks about. Now, with that said, then it ends with these verses, 28 to 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Wow, that's so encouraging. And he says, and let me just tell you how the whole train of events happens. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. In other words, God's got this. God takes it from the very beginning and the foreknowledge and the predestination to the calling and the justification and the glorification. He takes the whole process. all The whole order salutis is about God, order of salvation. Your whole salvation is God's got this. And that's what Paul really wants to get at here. And it's what he's trying to communicate to us so that we can see it really clearly and really bask in this when he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? And here's what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? When well, next time your heart challenges you and you think things are happening in your life because God's not for you, I want you to quote that and to say, I praise you, God, because you're for me and not against me. Then he goes on to give an explanation. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all... How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Okay, so here's what he's saying. Listen to this now. He's saying, he who didn't spare his son 2,000 years ago, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also do that for us in the present and in the future? There's an old adage in the stock market where they say, prior performance is the best indicator of future results. What did God do in the past? Well, Romans 5.8. Remember, I don't know how many weeks ago this is now, but Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, wow, this is amazing here now, right? If that's what he did, that's what he's going to do. And he keeps going on here. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Okay, so God is the one who makes you just. God is the one because you're in Christ. Looks upon you now and sees the acts of Jesus because He looked at Jesus and 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 on the cross and that was as if He were us. As I quoted that Charles Spurgeon line. So I love this verse, verse thirty-three, because it says, "Who will even bring a charge?" Right? A charge is just uh, you know a one crime, like oh they gossiped or oh they did this. And he's saying that in Christ, there's no one. The answer to this is no one. No one will bring a charge because God justified you. He goes on, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Uh, The NIV does a great job with this, by the way. This is the NIV now, I realize that. Because the answer to that is rhetorically no one. That's not what Paul uh, says, Um, It literally, it says, who then is the one who condemns? And it says, Christ Jesus who died. And you think, oh, Jesus is the one who condemns? No, 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 no. The NIV did a great job. The answer to that is, who is the one now? If no one's gonna bring a charge against you, then how could anybody actually condemn you, find you guilty? There's no charges. No one will do that. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to, to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Listen, if God calls you innocent and he doesn't just call you not guilty, in Christ, you're found not just not guilty, you're found innocent. Therefore, you can't be tried again because it would be double jeopardy, right? This has been decided and God himself is the one who's the judge, And because he's already declared you to be not guilty, in fact, innocent, therefore you are. There is, to quote the great C.S. Lewis line, there is no tribunal higher than God. And C.S. Lewis describes this where he says, why do we have a hard time forgiving ourselves? Because if you're actually holding a higher tribunal, a higher court than God himself, Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now just think about this. Not just the fact that Jesus went to the cross to pay for your penalty, not just the fact that now therefore you're in him and you're forgiven, you're made innocent, but the reality is that God could have done that just because he wanted to show off his holiness he could have said, I just want to do this for these people to, for, to have them not suffer uh, the penalty of their own sin. But that's not it. There's more than that. He does this because he deeply desires you. He deeply loves you. Scripture uses the analogy over and over and over of uh, a marriage and the, the idea that Christ, who is single and is single as a human being, will one day be married in in Revelation chapter 19 it talks about hallelujah the the wedding feast of the lamb is about to begin and there will be a huge celebration and just as and i've had the privilege of doing i don't know 165 or i don't something like that weddings and standing there and watching the groom and watching him beam with joy and tears as the bride walks down the aisle that's what Jesus Christ thinks of you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Who shall separate the love of that groom towards that bride as she's walking down? No one. You're deeply loved. Goes on the second part. And this is the part why I opened the podcast the way I did. Because the Apostle Paul wants you to know that even when you go through difficulties, that doesn't mean you're not loved, and that doesn't mean you're getting condemned, and that doesn't mean there's anyone that has any charges against you. He says this second part of verse 35 shall trouble, trouble, things go on in your life just causing trouble, or hardship could be a financial hardship, could be a relational hardship, or persecution. It could be someone looking down on you because you're a follower of Christ. It may even be in, in a place in the world where that's actually hazardous to your health to be a follower of Jesus. Or famine, where just natural disasters and poverty have made it so that even eating is difficult. Or nakedness, so now I'm in such a pov- impoverished state that it's difficult for me to even clothe myself. Or danger, I feel that there's physical harm that can happen to me. Or sword, and by sword here, he means the sword of the government that comes down upon us. Uh, he, Paul lived in a time when the government looked down upon religious groups that were causing any kind of havoc, even if they didn't mean to. They were just, uh, the sword took care of them. And the answer to that is, all, shall these things separate us? And his answer, the rhetorical answer is, no. No. As it is written, he is going to go on here. He's in verse uh, 36 of chapter eight. He is going to quote Psalm 44, verse 22, where it says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a horrible thought. But he says, because God, you're so worth it. You're so worth it, God. If I've lost everything, but I still have you, I have everything. You're so worth it, God, that even if it meant that I had to give my very life, I would do it. I would do it. That's the Apostle Paul who did eventually have to give his life. And then he goes on with this. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And he uses that phrase to make it real clear. By me giving up my life, I'm not losing. (laughs) No, I'm conquering because my hope is in Christ, which is so much greater we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he gives this list. And this list, may it be just a blessing to you as you walk throughout life and as you, uh, even as you think of Romans, the first eight chapters, this is a great verse to go back to and say, this ultimately summarizes the great theological truths we've learned, but they hit us in a very practical way so that we can live life. For I am convinced. This is the Apostle Paul saying, verse 38 in Romans chapter eight, for I am convinced that neither death nor life. So he's ultimately gonna say just to, none of this is gonna be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death or life, whether I die or I go on living, even in the struggles of this life, That cannot separate me from the love of Christ. I know a lot of us um, look at the dying process and are somewhat fearful of that. I'm fearful of a dying process, but of death itself, no. No, death no longer has has a sting because I know that it's not about me and it's about what Jesus Christ has done. Nothing possibly can change the objective fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said that anyone who received him received that blessing. So if you've received that blessing of Jesus Christ, you've taken him as Savior and Lord, that's true of you. That can, your death cannot separate you from the love of God. He goes on then to say, neither angels nor demons. And, and I remember even as a first couple times, you know, <laughs> as a pretty new follower of Jesus, reading this going, why in the world would angels want to separate us from, from the love of God? And I, I have no idea um, other than to say there's no spiritual forces. And especially as we look at the enemy of our souls, this guy just wants to trash us, and it's right to hate him, but he is, doesn't play fair either. He plays hardball, and yet he and all his minions, all these demons, they are not able. They don't have the power. They can't do it. It's a sealed deal in Christ. They cannot separate us from evil. By the way, one of the things to know here, too, is that God and Satan are not equals in opposite directions. No, that's the way I think a lot of people want... That's the way the devil wants you to think about him. That's not true. Uh, Satan was an angel. And so Michael, the archangel, and Satan are equals. They're angels of their, of their chief angels, right? They're equals. But not, they're both created beings. So nothing. It's not even in the same category as God. And so therefore, um, they cannot separate us. Then neither the present nor the future... Whatever you're going through right now, God's got this. Whatever you will go through, God's got this. Now, how much of a blessing is that? It's easy to trust God for our past. I look past and go, well, that makes sense. I see what God was doing there. Very hard sometimes, but God, I see what you did. It's great. And of course, I only know about three of the 10,000 things that God was doing. But, but I just, you know, okay, Lord, I get it. But it's hard for us to trust him. For the present, and it's really hard for us to trust them with the future, and yet you just say, "God, I know You got this. You're for me. You're not against me. You're for me." Nor height, nor depth. Now, this may not uh, uh, mean a whole lot to you. I'm, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of either. You know, if you think of like. Like the heights, I I just did a trip out to uh, uh, Utah, Zion National Park, and Bryce Canyon, and Arches National Park, and a whole bunch of them, and uh, Grand Canyon, and whole thing. And I realized again, uh, it kind of many years had passed. I, I kind of afraid of heights. (laughs) You look over the cliff there, and you're just. I mean, those trails are. I mean, you're one step away from your sudden, you know, sudden death. And again, it's not the the height that I'm afraid of. It's not even the fall that I'm afraid of. It's the sudden stop at the bottom that I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of afraid of, you know? And so it just kind of hits me this. <laughs> but I also think of like being underwater and then being way underwater. Like if I was in, even if you were in quote unquote safety, like a submarine or something, way down there underneath. And it just terrifies me. And he says, "Get less. guess what? All the things that terrify you, all the things that you weigh up on a high place or way down deep, It can't separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he just goes on to make it real clear. He puts a blank out there and says, or whatever else you want to put in there, whatever else is troubling you, whatever right now your mind is thinking about and you want to put it in the blank and says, this will separate me. Perhaps it's my own failures and sins. Maybe that'll separate me from the love of God. And Paul just says, nor anything else in all all creation. And whatever you can possibly think of, that's creative of God, except for God. Everything else is creation. (laughs) And so he says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. They do not have the power, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how loved you are. That's how secure you are. That's what all this great theology of the first eight chapters of Romans is leading to. And it leads to this amazing statement that I want you to hang on to and say, God, I believe, even though my mind is telling me differently, I believe right now that you are for me and you're not against me. And if you're not against me, No one can be against me that matters because you're the only one that ultimately really matters. I hope this season has been an encouragement to you. It's been such an encouragement to me. I've met some new people who've uh, kind of through the grapevine heard about this podcast and are listening and enjoying it and God's just opening up their hearts and minds to the great truths of Romans. I I, want to make sure I give credit where credit's due. I appreciate the nice words and, and all this. Listen, uh, God's word changes lives. Uh, I, I'm just a guy from Northern Minnesota who just loves to read this book and to read what others think and to think about it and pray about it and meditate on it with others and, and study the word God's word together and watch it just utterly transform my life. And, uh, it's fun to hear that's happening with others. And that was the goal of this podcast. And I hope that, uh, that continues to happen. So I appreciate the nice words and everything, but man, uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in God's holy word. That's what's changing your life. And so, hey, have a great summer. Again, we'll throw out a couple bonus episodes this summer. Season three will start sometime after Labor Day. We'll pick it up in Romans chapter nine, and we are going to have a great time when that happens. Until that next time, uh, may the God who is for you and not against you bless you in every way this summer.